We've got a series that we're um, calling a prophetic people. And um, I just, I, I read this book last year uh, in, terms of, in terms of thinking, I want to get into some of those books in the Bible that I tend to skip over. And I want to kind of look at them in a bit more detail. So I started reading some commentaries. And um, I found a great commentary, which I'll show you in a second, um, on this book. It was a kind of new commentary that had just come out on Lamentations. And um, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, and uh, I'm going to give you a sort of bit of preview, but we're going to kind of skip in and out of Lamentations and look at the kind of bold picture of not only why is it in the Bible, because you, you do ask that question after you've read it, you're kind of thinking, why is this here? Um, and how does it apply for us today? And that's, we're believing, aren't we, that all scripture is God-breathed and is good and profitable for us, yeah? So here we go. Um, it's uh, thought to be maybe uh, written by Jeremiah, okay? It comes just sort of, Around, if you know where Jeremiah is, then Lamentations is just there, okay, uh, in your Bibles. It's five chapters long. And it's probably, actually, probably one of the most poetic books, which you wouldn't have known uh, until I kind of read it. It's probably one of the most poetic books. There's lots of pathos, and uh, the way that it's written actually carries across a real heart cry. It also describes the sorrow of God's people at a time of crisis, at a time of exile. Namely, that Judah, or the southern kingdom, is personified in this book as a woman. The Bible often uses a woman as a kind of description. We, get, we pick it up again as a uh, John in Revelations is using a woman to describe uh, some things. And in this um, the writer is actually using a woman to describe Judah that is forlorn, rejected, sitting in the dust, crying out for mercy. And uh, I want just, in case you're interested, in case you're still thinking, what am I going to read this summer, this book? It's not a long book, but I tell you, Chris Wright is just a great writer, and uh, he really conveys the message of this book really well. I want to thank him for it and recommend it. So just a little brief burst of some of the history, which I'm sure many of you would already know, but I thought I should just say something in case you don't. Um, so Israel kind of peaked in its power around the time of David and his son Solomon. Um, however, quickly things went downhill, and really within a generation, the kind of united kingdom that, uh, that they had was fractured into two. And you had Judah, which comprised of two tribes, which was in the south, and the rest of the tribes were in the north. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. Um, and despite clear warnings from the prophets uh, that God sends, the nations, both nations, really stray away in their uh, obedience to Yahweh, the one true God. Um, and so he says... Well, if you don't turn from me, if you don't turn to me and turn away from these other ways, um, I'm going to hand you over 
to foreign powers. So um, they kind of don't really take him very seriously. Uh, and they kind of, yeah, 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 but he's a gracious God, he's a good God, and we're his people, and, you know, it's fine, you know, we're a little few slip-ups here and there. And actually there is a point where God then says, okay, today's the day. Uh, I've, I've, I've kind of sent prophet after prophet after prophet. I've really beseeched you to come back to me, and now is the time of judgment. And <laughs> basically you are going to be taken over by a foreign power. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom falls first to the Assyrians, and then later on in 586 uh, BC, 136 years later, uh, is the southern kingdom, Judah, is ransacked by the Babylonians uh, and Nebuchadnezzar, and the people are taken into exile. And the Book of Lamentations is really writing about the trauma of that time. It is interesting that the author of Lamentations makes no bones that this is a devastating defeat of Jerusalem. Um, that captivity was not due to the supremacy of the Babylonians. It was not due to the clever battle plans of Nebuchadnezzar. But was in fact orchestrated by God himself. And he was bringing discipline on his people to bring a change of heart and to return them to a devotion to him. We find that slightly hard to take sometimes, okay? That's quite a tough thing for us in this day and age, and I'm going to say more about it. And that's why we often skip over this. Well, we don't want to read this kind of stuff. But the issue is we need to face the fact that God has said this is, you, you need to understand that's about me here, that actually are true parts of my nature, and, you need to, and I'm going to unpack those. The author is also not shy about expressing the depth of Judah's sorrow. Goes into graphic detail about her pain and her heartache. There's no attempt to kind of sanitize it or put just an upbeat spin on it. Often we live in a world on our TVs and everything and our films where everything, every film has an upbeat bit, and it all kind of like, da-da-da-da, terrible thing, and then whoopee, in comes a kind of answer, and it kind of goes up, and you oh, well, that was a great film, you know. Yeah, it was sorrow and heartache and difficulty, but, you know, hey, it all triumphs in the end. You know, the hard thing about this book is you're waiting for that bit. You're waiting for that triumph. You know, like in Job, there's triumph. You know, there's terrible things that happen to Job, but at the end, it's like, yeah, you know, God breaks through and speaks in. And you, know, and you hear that over and over again in lots of different, different people. Um, we see it in the life of Peter, don't we? Who kind of betrays, it's terrible. We kind of, oh my goodness. But then we see him a few chapters later on kind of being the man who's standing there preaching and actually thousands are coming to Christ as a result. You know, we, we, we love those stories. And what we face in Lamentations is you get to the end of the book and you're like, well, where's the, where's God breaking in? Because it just kind of ends. Uh, and ends like this. It says, why do you forget us forever? Why do you uh, forsake us so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, 
unless you've utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. It, it ends on a fairly sorrow note, a minor note. And you're waiting for the, well, where's the kind of God breaking in and this all kind of turning, turning up? And I'm going to explain why that is the case, okay? It's not that it's not there. It's that we just got to wait a few hundred years before it happens. <laughs> it's, you're left hanging at this point, a bit like an unfinished symphony or a book that you've kind of got through. I've, I've sometimes got, I kind of buy these books, um, you know, fiction books, and you're kind of reading through, and you kind of get to the end, and often I'm buying them kind of secondhand, um, and you kind of get to the end, suddenly you realize that, <laughs> the last chapter's not there or something. And you're kind of like, what? <laughs> I've read this whole book and then it's kind of not there. What's happened? <clears throat> this is the big question. What is God wanting to say through this book of Lamentations? Clearly he wanted it in the canon of scripture. Uh, some books are, are, are a lot easier to digest than others. And some take a, a more digging in and to understand them. But, you know, digging in is good for us. It's, there's a maturity in saying, dig in. You know, it's not, it's not the book I'm going to... If you're kind of fairly new in your faith or haven't actually come to faith yet, it's, it's not the book I'm going to say to you, go and read Lamentations, okay? But I think for those that have been around a bit, actually, it's good that we don't just kind of deal with the kind of... the ones that are just easier to understand rather than digging into some other stuff. So it's important. Maybe we need, as I said, a commentary that helps us in that. I think it says a huge amount to us, as I'll show you as we grapple with these questions. So first of all, first of all, it gives us a proper perspective of God's nature. And um, last week we had um, Academy, and Phil Moore was teaching us about Revelations, which is a um, a Bible course that we're going through. Um, and um, in this day and age, we love to emphasize the kind of the mercy that God has towards us, his generosity towards us, his grace, his compassion. And sometimes we can get that funny bit where we sort of are saying, well, yeah, this is the God of the New Testament, and that was the God of the Old Testament, and somehow he's just sort of changed. But the Bible doesn't allow us to say God has changed because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's not just that he's just decided, oh, hey, I'm just going to be a little bit kind of easier on this point than I was. I've kind of changed my heart on it. I'm just going to be a bit kinder or something. No, no, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, clearly, here he was. He cared about his people. He cared that they didn't just get into all this other stuff that was bad for them, and that they truly gave themselves to worshipping him. And there is a point where he's saying, I'm not just going to... We live in a time where, where we have opportunity. All of you sitting here today, we have opportunity to turn to Christ and to change our life right now. There will be a point, if we haven't done that, 
when we will face the judgment of God and God is going to say, it is now too late to do that. You can't do it anymore. That opportunity has now gone. And that is the reality that we live with. And if we don't say that, then we're not actually teaching the gospel as it should be taught. Yeah, we're actually teaching people that they're, it's fine, it's okay, you can just kind of carry on and it doesn't really matter. That's not true and that's not loving because that isn't the case and that isn't what's going to happen to them. And we need to be real about that point. And this is what happened for Judah, that actually they came to the point where they just thought, hey, you know, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And there was a point when, well, it wasn't okay. But it was actually God was showing he cared about them. It wasn't, it, 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 he actually, he wanted them to turn their heart around. We need to understand this thing that God is holding together two major themes about his nature. His unconditional love, but at the same time, his inscrutable justice. And those two things, we tend to focus on this at the moment in our generation, and we tend to have downplayed this quite a lot. Okay? And God's saying, if you do that, and if you, if you actually lean too far in this direction or too far in this direction, you are going to have a distorted view of who God is. And we must make sure that actually we hold those two, and they are in tension, okay? They are in tension. There's a tension about it. Whoops. <laughs> <coughs> And I thought I had turned it off. I'd obviously turned it the wrong way. <laughs> um, so if we, if we lean too far, we're going to distort God. You know what? Like you, I really want unconditional love and mercy when it comes to me and my screw-ups. Okay? That's what I want. You know, I want you to be merciful to me. I want and to be merciful to me. I want God to be merciful to me. But I'd be outraged if we had a legal system that just allowed anybody to kind of come into my house, steal my goods, burn my house down, injure my children and my wife and my grandkids with absolutely no consequence. <laughs> there are two parts of that. And we'd say that is just, a, that is tight. Just, you know, mercy, just show mercy. You know, just, just, you know, give him another opportunity. It's like, well, what, just, a, yeah, just, you know, just love, man, love, you know. And it's like, you've got to have those two things together. There's people in our society, in the world, that are suffering terribly. You know, it is not a joke for them. It is not just like, oh, yes, just, they are being oppressed and they are being tortured and they're in that situation and they are saying, God, give us justice. And they're calling out to God. And God is saying, yeah, I am a God who is a just God. I'm not just the kind of nice, gracious, merciful, let you off the hook God. I'm going to actually be the God who holds these two things together. I love this quote from John Piper. One of my favorite quotes ever, I've got to say which is in The Pleasures of God. Redemptive history 
is like a symphony with two great themes. The theme of God's passion to promote his glory and the theme of God's inscrutable electing love for sinners who have scorned that very glory. Again and again, all through the Bible, these two great themes carry along with the symphony of history. They interweave and they interpenetrate and we know that some awesome composer is at work here. But for centuries, we don't hear the resolution. The harmony escapes us and we have to wait. In the death of Jesus, the two themes of God's love for his glory and his love for sinners is resolved. Those two things come together at the cross. So when we're reading the Old Testament, we have to realize that actually the answer to the real change of heart that God was wanting to actually hold together the issue of his justice, which was sin needs punishment and the wages of sin is death. And bringing together his love and his compassion come together at the cross. And that's an awesome truth that we need to stay in awe of the whole of our lives. Yeah? As I said earlier, Lamentations is a poetic book. The writer builds the pathos of the calamity towards the middle chapters. Okay, so it kind of goes one, two, and then three. It really kind of builds, and then it kind of, you get four and five. By this time, the lament of the woman, Judah, is graphic. There's kind of even the way that it's written. So the, 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 the kind of the tempo of, the, of it kind of changes. It's, it's lost a lot in our translations when we change it into English. And it's quite difficult to do it in, in Hebrew when it was written. He, the writer was actually using, he sort of used a kind of A, da-da-da-da, and then B, and then C. And so the words began with those letters, because he was wanting to actually communicate something quite poetic and quite powerful. And you get this kind of rhythm and this burst of prose that is almost, as it gets into two and three, it's almost kind of limping along. So you actually get the sense of this woman that is crying out for mercy. Here it goes. I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children, little babies are fainting and dying in the street. What can I say about you who has ever seen such sorrow? O daughter of Jerusalem, to what can I compare your anguish? O virgin daughter of Zion, how can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. They did not save you from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures, filling you with false hope. All your enemies mock you. They scoff and snarl and say, we have destroyed her at last. We have long waited for this day and it is finally here. But it is the Lord who did just as he planned. He has fulfilled the promises of disaster he made long ago. God's 
sovereignty speaks to us of God being in control. We can get fearful when we see a lot of the destruction that's going on in the world, nations warring against nations. I was just looking at some of the stats this morning. In 2015, Afghanistan saw 15 to 36,000 people killed. In 2015, Iraq saw 21,000 people killed. Cameroon, 21,000. Syria, between half a million, uh, between quarter of a million and half a million. There is bloodshed, there is cruelty. These are issues that we face in our world today. And God speaks into it. There is hope for those people. And I am comforted by the fact that God doesn't try and sweep under the carpet the heartache and the turmoil that we see here. We can't read Lamentations and not be shocked at the explicit descriptions of suffering. And it has a huge amount to offer a grieving world that it's okay to let the suffering person talk about their pain. It's okay. It's not just like, oh, come on, you know, let's just, you know, God is good, you know, put a smile on your face and let's kind of, no, no, it's actually saying it's okay to be real. It's okay to say this is really hard and I'm calling out. There's a pain, there's a sorrow. It's actually okay to do that. The Bible doesn't try and gloss that over and make it nice and sweet and syrupy. Actually, you get the rawness and the reality of what it's really like. And I'm comforted by that fact because it gives it a sense of genuineness and reality. Okay? She sobs through the night. Going back to the scripture. Tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. All who once honoured her now despise her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. And all she can do is groan and hide her face. You know, there's many people that are facing real, not just in wartime, but in our society, in our country, that are facing heartache. People who have lost loved ones. You know, both Anne and I have lost both of our parents. We've seen friends, good friends, die of cancer. You know, these are hard things and they're real things. And, and many of you have faced very similar things, if not worse. And actually, you know what that's like. And this scripture, this book actually says, yeah, I, I really identify. I can really, when I read these words, I'm thinking this is exactly what that's like. And God's not covering it up. And it touches on hunger and wretchedness and homelessness and being ignored. And I think for us who live fairly comfortable lives a lot of the time, it's hard sometimes to sit through. And sometimes we might just say, let's just lighten up a bit. But you know, there's a vast number of people in this planet that actually that is reality for them. And we can say, you know what? It's okay. The scripture says, Romans 12, calls us to rejoice with those that rejoice, but to weep with those that weep, to associate, I love this bit, associate with the lowly. Associate, don't, don't, don't just distance yourself, just because you're all right, but the Bible says, no, no, associate with those that are lowly. Chapter 3 the writer starts to remember God. In the midst of sorrow, 
he speaks to his own soul, or her own soul, and says, This I recall to mind, my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. Kindnesses, sorry, never cease. For his compassions never fail. We know this scripture very well. Okay, this, this is where it comes from. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. There's that point where even in the midst of sorrow, suddenly it's declaring, well, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to remember God. I'm going to remember his faithfulness and his graciousness towards me. And so for us, when you're facing that, okay, this is actually how to respond. In the middle of it, so I don't feel like it. He didn't feel like it. It was just, he decided as a discipline to call it to mind and remember, I'm going to start rejoicing in my God right now. And that's what we need to do. And we need to help others that are facing it and to say, come to God and start just lifting up who he is. Just start lifting up who he is. God's faithfulness in the midst of turmoil that is actually what this book is pointing towards but finally and this is probably the main point the full outworking of lamentations and that for that matter the whole of the exile is not truly seen until Jesus comes on the scene The book leaves us hanging in midair. And we see God's frustration at his unfaithful people, yet again ignoring the pleas of the prophets. What is going to transform their hearts? Well, his one true faithful son. You know what? The horror of lamentations, and I haven't even read to you some of the really gory bits. You can do that in your own time. The horror of lamentations shocks us. And you know what? It's meant to. But rarely do we put ourselves in the woman's place. Okay? Because we think, well, yeah, you know, I, I can see that. It's hard. But, you know, I really haven't been that bad or that unfaithful. And the Bible tells us otherwise. The Bible says to us, no, actually, we have all turned to our own way. We have all rejected God. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We all deserve complete rejection. Far more than we read about Judah. That's what we deserve. And if we don't understand that point, then we don't understand the gospel. Because the glorious truth cannot really be properly understood until you actually, each of us, have understood that actually we deserve far more than what actually we're reading about. The utter separation and humiliation is actually there. And we, we need to put ourselves in that place. But you know what? Just when we think we can't take any more, the truth of the gospel is even worse. Because the truth of the gospel says that the wrath that was meted out here on his people is far more carried out on the cross towards his innocent 
son. Isaiah 53 needs to be really read in tandem with Lamentations. And it says, a man, speaking about Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised, pierced through with our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. We ourselves considered him stricken, smitten of God. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. The truth of what Jesus did is utterly shocking that the wrath of God was poured out on his innocent son how did he bring together justice and mercy by pouring out the judgment that was due to us on his innocent son it's that is the gospel that is that is Christianity and it's a a shocking truth and yet and we say how can that be and God's saying there was no other way if there was any other way of doing it of holding together the fact that actually there had to be a requirement for sin for our sin and somebody either we were going to have to pay the cost of that or his son was going to pay the cost on our behalf, which is what happened. And what it means is that we are saved from the wrath of God to come because Jesus bore our sin and the full weight of it on himself. I'm just going to stop a second because I just want it just to sink in. Just let it just sink into you a minute. Lord, I just want to pray and say, God, we are in awe of you. We're in awe of what you did on the cross. We worship you. And all we can say is thank you, God. Thank you for giving your life for us, taking the cost for us, bearing the cost for us, separated from your Father in order that we could be joined to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we worship you, God, in all your mercy and love and your plan that was worked out from the beginning of the foundation of the world your plan for us and plan for planet Earth. And we give praise to you, Lord. In conclusion, maybe the band can start coming up. In conclusion, we're going to worship God in a moment. I just want to say, don't avoid reading the uncomfortable passages of the Bible. Don't just rele relegate them to the sort of irrelevant drawer all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for our good. Let it shock you. Allow it to touch your heart. Let it cause you to worship God, our Savior, and be in awe at God's amazing gospel truth. In Christ's death, you and I have life. 
God brings together these two major themes of love and justice in one act of the death of his son. And that is why we can be with him for eternity, where there will be no more crying, no more grief, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more lamentations because of what Christ did.